This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is at Ontario Home Studio. Ramya Muthan right there. She's in the Toronto head office studio. And we appreciate you being with us for Kelly and Ramya this afternoon. Wherever you are checking out the program. Folks, we want you to do this. Tempur-Pedic mattresses are designed with one-of-a-kind temper material to precisely adapt to your weight, shape, and temperature offering unmatched comfort and support for all the rules to enter this contest and to make sure that you've got your name in there before February 8th, folks, visit ami.ca slash krcontest. We uh, will uh, be taking applications. Just drop right in there, register up until, as I mentioned, February 8th. I also mentioned I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. Earlier in conversation with Greg David on our TV segment, we already mentioned CBC Gems. Let's bring it up for a different reason now. How to Lose Everything is a CBC Arts original created by Krista Couture and produced by Michelle St. John. And this is going to premiere this Friday with episodes streaming free on CBC Gems. So what a great project. And we're going to talk to Krista about it now. She's a familiar voice on the network and a friend of the network. Let's talk about How to Lose Everything. It's a series of Indigenous animated short films that explain um, or explore personal stories of loss with all five episodes available in English, French, and in the Indigenous language of the writer. That sounds fascinating. So let's talk more about it. It is inspired by Krista Couture's debut um, memoir of the same name, and it's right now out with Douglas and Macintosh. Krista, welcome to Kelly and Remia. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you and nice to hear from you as well. Do you mind telling us a little more about the the series? So I gave people kind of a heads up and an introduction to it, but uh, you're the person to tell us more about it and what we can check out. Yes, so this series, it started as something much smaller <laughs> and grew into this incredible, ambitious, beautiful project. It was originally just one short film based on an excerpt from my book, which is How to Lose Everything, as you mentioned. And in the process of making this short animated film, um, we got the opportunity to develop something larger with CBC Arts. And we were asked, like, what if this was bigger? What would it be? Mm. <laughs> and we got to dream and imagine something. And what it became was a series of five short animated films, each one by an Indigenous writer and an Indigenous animator. And the first film, the one that I wrote and co-directed, it's called a field guide and it's, it's sort of my, I, I'm reluctant to give advice, but sort of my advice on if you're going through heartache, you know, what that might be like. And at the end of that film, I say, you know, now you tell me, I've, I've told you my sad story, mm. you tell me yours. And so the other four films are in a way, the response to that invitation. <clears throat> it's been three years in a making, in the making this project. Animation is such a slow, laborious um mm. art form you know frame by frame yes. um and i'm just so thrilled that it's it's now going to be out in the world for people to see their they each one is a, a work of art wow um congratulations first of all on it but also the memoir can we talk just for a moment give us a little bit of idea about it and how that translated and 
because you 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 get a project opportunity and here's an inspiration something you've created something dear to you your heart how did that translate in that sense and how much of it would we feel that is is taken from it when we watch the piece yes so my my memoir how to lose everything it came out in 2020 and it shares kind of the key losses that I've experienced in my life. When I talk about the book, I often use my, I call it my grief bio. <laughs> it's a bit right, glib, but yeah. what it is, is my uh, uh, amputation, cancer, death, death, divorce, more cancer. Um, my left leg was amputated above the knee when I was a kid, which was the cure for the bone cancer I had. I was very lucky there's a cure, of course. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a loss. It was a big loss. Um, I had two sons that died in my 20s and 30s. And then my marriage ended after that. I mean, those are the the biggest losses and most painful losses. And in kind of picking up the pieces and starting my life over, I then had thyroid cancer, which put my career as a singer on hold. And so the book kind of goes into all of these losses that I've I've had and shares my my story. And so that first film, it reflects a bit of that. There's even like, there's an image of one of my sons and there's kind of some little bits and pieces that, that speak to my experience. And I was living in Vancouver at the time. And, and, um, but what's been so beautiful about the, the book, you know, becoming that short film and then becoming the series is that it's become bigger than just me. You know, it means mm, so much yes, to me to yes. share my story, but it's also really meaningful to have other people come in and share their own heartbreak. So it's not just me so that we're all in it together. We all get to feel a little less alone and that this idea how to lose everything has now gone beyond my story. And so it's, it's not just been sort of translated from the book. It's kind of become something new in, in this way that it's grown and, mm. and, and reached other stories. It's been really, really fulfilling, um, as a process. Would you Those responses? Wow. Yes. Would you say that there was some relief in finally putting this out? I feel like there are uh, so many things, you know, tactile uh, pieces that have happened in your life, very wide array of lived experiences that were obviously difficult for you. And then the idea to share it with the world and then to hear the world respond back to you um, on their own terms as well is... I feel like there was some sense of relief that comes with that. Yeah, there is. I, I think, you know, I feel very lucky that that's been my experience. And I mean, I'm an artist and so that's what I do. I make work from my experiences. Maybe yeah. if I were a gardener, I would have just been like digging in the dirt this whole time. <laughs> if that was like my, <laughs> my way, you know, I think hopefully we all know what our, our thing is, the thing that helps us move, you know, emotion through us or, or whatever. Some people's cooking or whatever. Um, express but it, I, ex express. Yeah, yeah, expressing yeah. yourself, exactly. But I think what we all need and want, especially when it comes to maybe our, our most painful experiences or, mm -hmm. or pieces of our identity that don't feel seen, like we want to feel seen, we want to feel heard and, and grief can be exile, it can be so lonely, you know, when you're going through loss and everyone knows this feeling, you can feel really alone, right? And even though grief is so universal, the specificities of what you're going through can feel so isolating. And I feel very, very lucky, especially when it comes to like the the deaths of my sons, which is, I mean, that, that grief will always be with me. Those are huge losses. 
but I'm at a point in my life where I've had enough time that I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. I can, I can say the deaths of my sons and not fall apart, which was not always true, you know, and I can make these artworks out of, out of my stories and, and that it's, you know, can help other people share their own stories is freeing. Absolutely. I, I feel really blessed that, that I've had these opportunities to be seen and for my story to be received by, by so many. What do you feel yourself and the others who've contributed to this, everybody who's put so much into it, when people are watching it, what do you feel or hope people will take away? I hope that it will, for non-Indigenous people, I hope that it will introduce you to, you know, 10 new incredible artists, uh, writers, illustrators, animators, directors, the composers. These are really incredible artists who make great work. And so if you haven't heard of them before, you're going to, you know, get to meet all of these new artists who do really cool things. And then also, I hope it just, you know, is a chance for people to connect with their own losses. I hope that people see themselves reflected a bit in these stories and that maybe it, it gives them a chance to, you know, reflect and, and touch base with the part of their heart that maybe aches a little bit and that mm-hmm. you get to give that some tenderness and that these films are a way of kind of holding those memories, you know, with care and saying, yes, like I see your heartache too, you know, and we can, we can all kind of hold compassion for each other. Do you mind also taking this opportunity to speak on the representation? Because we know it's available English, French, uh, and some indigenous languages of the creator, the writer of the episode. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit about that because we know it's, it still needs a lot of work, right? The representation of indigenous peoples in art, especially in Canada. Yes. And I will say the French language ones aren't available this week, That, but they will be soon. We've made them. Okay, great. <laughs> so for, for French speaking people, they'll be available soon, but the English and the Indigenous languages will be streaming on CBC Gem as of Friday. So available on demand. And the Indigenous language ones, I mean, it was such an important part of this project. One, because it means that other Indigenous people can see themselves reflected in another way. Mm. It's not just the creators who are Indigenous, but they get to see and hear their language represented. And it means that these languages, you know, the the Truth and Reconciliation Call to Action number 14 is around language preservation and strengthening. We need to preserve Indigenous languages and strengthen them and, and, and provide resources for these languages to be strengthened. And these films being in, we have two in Cree, one in Anishinaabemowin, one in Anuktitut, and one in Tanaka. And those are, you know, these are works of art now available in these languages, which I think are a really beautiful and powerful act of preservation, you know, that it's poems in in, in these languages. Um, there's actually in the fifth film, which is about the loss of language, she says at the end, Takalik Partridge, the writer, you know, you want to dream in your language. You want a toaster yes. manual in your language. You know, <laughs> you, you want it to be common. Yep. You want to be surrounded yes. by it, right? Yep. And I yep. think probably many of us feel that even if you're not Indigenous, whatever your <laughs> Maybe your your grandparents spoke a language that you don't speak anymore or your ancestral language. Like a lot of us have a language that is in our family that we, you know, a lot of us, our generation just speak English right? in, in Canada. Yeah. And so yeah. I think people can relate to that. And I hope that people watch the Indigenous languages, even if they don't speak that language, right. because it's just, it's, it's an introduction to your ear to hear something new, you know, and you might actually feel something just by listening to those words, you might still feel the story, right? And so I hope that people uh, listen to the English and and the other languages because it will just kind of 
introduce you to something maybe you haven't heard before. I love it. Thank you so much, Krista. This has been such a, a beautiful conversation, and I totally um, love what you said about you know listening to the language, even if it's not something you speak. And you know, you talked about themes of loneliness and exile, and and I think that there's many many um, reasons why people should check out this simply to to relate to that aspect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Congrats Good on all luck. the best. You bet. Thank Krista Couture uh, is here talking to us about the CBC Arts original How to Lose Everything, which is beginning this Friday, streamed, available on CBC Gem. We'll be stepping aside for just a moment. When we return, we talk with Chantal Oaks, president of AEBC BC affiliate, about an exciting job, job posting that you might be interested. We'll get the details after this. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Before the break, we had Krista Couture in here with us. What a wonderful art project with lots of sharing and from the soul in languages that uh, we were discussing in the last segment. Do check it out via the podcast if by chance you missed any of it. But one of the things oh. I would have loved to ask her about, Ramya, is the process now. Because we've had these discussions with disability artists who get into the talk about what it's like, whether it was Mark Rankin discussing trying to help make things more authentic, being on set for blindness, whether it's people who are getting an opportunity to direct or to who, who are producing something and they have a disability and how do they feel on set? And mm. these are different conversations as well that I always find really interesting. And the same with persons creating content for BIPOC, Indigenous, whatever it might be. How are you feeling you were taken by said production company or broadcaster mm -hmm. and the concerns and how did we show things? And I, I know as disabled people, we worry so much about that and having sometimes to say, okay, hold it. It doesn't have to be the same way Ramya might do that or I might, but there are things that do have to be done when it comes to certain processes to get that feel across the right way? Well, I, I think it's still a very fragile conversation, right? Like we go yes. into projects feeling like we don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know fully if I want to share this with you or, you know, what if it goes terribly? So yeah, yeah, yeah we go into it, I think, feeling very sensitive as we should because disability still feels niche. And, you know, a lot of the things that Krista talked about still feels uh, underrepresented, so yeah. I, I think we have a right to be. Well, and you want to make sure, because you see how upset somebody says, well, I'm trying to recreate the 1930s mobster feel in this. I want to be accurate. But then are you going to be willing to be just as hard and wanting to be as accurate when it comes to reflecting an Indigenous community mm. and the topics of or something from the disability world or are you just happy? Well, we're putting it out there. And I think that's the real test of that, that legitimacy and being okay with getting it wrong or maybe not so perfect and say, okay, well, maybe next we'll time put it out I'll there do anyway. it a better. Yeah, or, or, or understand it's, it's an interpretation, not just your interpretation because, well, we tried. <laughs> and that and it is going to be through the voices of the people that that you're able to even come close and i think that's where the big e for effort has to come in well ladies and gentlemen 
Let's talk a little bit about potential work here. The Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians, AEBC, BC affiliate, is posting an employment opportunity for a project manager. This is for an emergency preparedness project going on. Their president, Chantal Oaks, is joining us here to tell us a little bit more about it. Welcome to the program. Nice to have you on board with us. Thank you for allowing me the time to and the opportunity to be on your show today. Well, we thank Amy Amanti for bringing this to our attention and giving us a heads up so we could get you get you on the program. We thank you, of course, for the time. Let's start by familiarizing some of our, our viewers and listeners that may not know um, what AEBC is and including particularly uh, the chapter out there. Okay. The Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians has just celebrated their 30th anniversary. We um, are purely consumer driven. So all our members mostly are members who want to see some changes made um, regarding our main goal, which is to remove or prevent barriers to equality and accessibility um, throughout Canada. And the BC affiliate um, was originally created from uh, our, after our national uh, organization uh, came to light. There were a few chapters in British Columbia and um, we decided to create an affiliate whereby there are certain things in certain provinces you can do and rules and regulations are different to other provinces. So the um, BC affiliate was created from that and we now um, have decided oh, a little over a year ago that uh, some of our chapters in BC, which were remaining as we lose a few over the years, um, decided to just basically um, close down those chapters and just be completely the BC affiliate. So therefore, members that maybe perhaps are not affiliated with a particular chapter in BC could just, you know, right. be included always, right? So anywhere from the island to the Kootenays, the Okanagan, and all those areas. Yeah. Okay. Well, we know the work never ends for EBC, right? Like there's mm -hmm. there's so much work to be passed around. Um, let's yeah. talk about some of the upcoming work then. What's the emergency preparedness project that you're planning to work on? Well, um, a year ago, particularly in July, when the Rogers shutdown happened, it right. kind of sparked a lot of conversation about what do we all know about emergency preparedness and how many of us are truly prepared? Yep. Um, we live in a province where there's, you know, ever-growing disasters, whether it's fire, mm -hmm. whether it's floods, whether it's uh, related to, um, you know, earthquakes or anything like that. So we decided that um, at the BC affiliate level, perhaps we should try to acquire funding to see if we could help some of our members as well as the whole um, community of blind, deafblind, and partially sighted individuals in British Columbia um, to see if we could help them be a, a little better prepared for emergencies. Um, this project will actually help anyone who participates to create their own personal plan. 
And, you know, we will provide at the end of the um, workshops a kit whereby they will be equipped, you know, with a, a starter kit. You can add to it, you can, you know, change it up a little, but at least you will have some idea of what goes into this kit and how it can help you in the event of an emergency. Chantal, with what's gone on lately, you mentioned it, the droughts, the the, the fires, uh, the flooding, and, you know, over the years, we've always heard them say, well, you know, BC might get that big earthquake one day, Vancouver <laughs> should be prepared, and so on. Do you think just with that talk, earthquake, one day, you guys get the funding, the support to be able to do this, or, or has the last few years, pandemic and everything included, made this a no-brainer? Because we all know across the country, anything happen, do I have enough stuff here at home? Do I have anything to power my place? Whatever it might be, and most of us will give thumbs down. Absolutely. Um, I think it's been a few years in the making. I understand the government you know, has already prepared to or started to prepare for, you know, how to uh, provide some of this information um, to folks who uh, need to pack that kit and be prepared to leave at a moment's notice, that sort of thing. Um, right. I've also discovered even since I've um, posted this position for our project manager, I've had replies from several different organizations that have said, so-and-so has studied this, they've researched it, they could offer you information. Um, there's also another organization in Port Hardy, I believe, who's doing a project for emergency preparedness although they are uh, servicing probably people with different disabilities other than blindness and deafblind. So our main objective here is that um, while many of us may be partly prepared for emergencies, are we really prepared to know how to help a blind person or someone mm -hmm. who's deafblind? Are we prepared to um, understand, do we understand how it's best to help them because once there's a fire, there's no time to start asking and learning about, you know, what do I do? Right. Um, I mentioned to someone in a meeting yesterday that there have been other projects um, with the intent to provide persons with disability with emergency preparedness. However, when a blind person comes along, the first question they usually ask is, how can we help you? Do you need everything in Braille? Braille yeah. is not going to help me in the event of a flood or, mm -hmm. you know, a raging wildfire. So we want to try and build some tools to um, make sure that are available online for folks to access, whether it's other organizations or just an individual, and that these will be tools that have been uh, researched and specific to aiding persons who are blind, deafblind, and partially sighted. I love the idea of these other organizations, too, and the sharing. I think that's that's tremendous, Ramya. There's significant points that you're bringing up here, and mm -hmm. it's very true. And I'm thinking of, you know, anything from taking off on a flight to just, you know, walking into unfamiliar areas, like maybe you're staying at a hotel for the night. Uh, and, yeah, the Braille <laughs> is maybe one way to communicate, but definitely not the be-all, ends-all, right? And it's... Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the approach that you've taken, this very tactile, you know, let's hand this out to people so the information is available to you as a person with disability and that the and, scenarios and are laid out. 
But and I, count on being alone, right? right. Like you, you Absolutely. certainly yeah. will take any help you can get. But yep. at the end of the day, first up is is knowing how, how to well help yourself or you? how to tell people to help you when when that help arrives. And here's talk. another thought to have in mind as well. Um, while we are preparing ourselves for the best you know, scenario to happen, if we needed help or if we needed to um, evacuate under a moment's mm -hmm. notice, we also want to try and minimize the burden that we, you know, some of us might be um, thought of, you know, through society. That, for instance, I might have a flashlight in my backpack. Right. Maybe you don't have one and you can see. So it will aid you more than it will aid me. But That's at least right. I'm able to contribute to the uh, problem and not only, you know, yeah. um, put a burden on the already exhausted resources that might be available. Um, we want to try to help, not hinder. Wow. Um, so many great points, and I'm sure so much more will come out of this as well. But tell us about the job posting specifically. So who's who can apply? What's the job? And uh, what other information do we need to know? Well, first of all, I want to mention that this funding has been made available um, due to the selection from Disability Alliance BC, who were provided funds, of course, um, you know, from government to be able to disperse among organizations who are proposing projects that would help persons with disability um, in, in British Columbia. And so you must be a resident of British Columbia to apply. The aim is that uh, we are helping people in our community. So whether that's hiring staff, uh, participants of the project, and so on. Um, it's a part-time uh, short-term position. It's for 10 months with an intent date to hire by March 1st, um, 40 hours a month approximately. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it might work into your schedule if you only have a, a part-time employment at the moment and are looking for just a little bit more, or perhaps this is, you know, the time you may have available to um, give to this particular position. Um, we want to um, make sure that you have the capability of uh, planning, researching, and executing the project in that with the, the help of the steering committee from AEBC. You will um, launch a survey to find out what level of preparedness we need to look at, you know, awesome. so from the participants that will answer. Then you'll deliver focus groups and workshops. To, Fantastic. Um, Chantal, yeah. we're getting short on time. Can you tell us where to send in to? The what do you guys want applications resume? and the letters and applications should be sent to prep, P R E P, at blindcanadians.ca. Attention, Chantal Oaks. Awesome. Well, good luck finding that proper candidate and uh, all the uh, all the good things that go into something like this and those partnerships and sharing. Thanks a lot for making time for us today. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Of course, folks, uh, that was a Chantal Oaks, president of AEBC affiliate in uh, BC out there, folks. We'll step aside for a moment and Kevin Shaw joins us next for our entrepreneurship discussion. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
Welcome back to the program. Kelly and Ramya here. I want to mention to you folks that uh, checking out The Pulse on Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, so easy to do. You can check out 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. This week on the program, Joita discusses As I Live and Breathe, a new book of short stories about the experiences of youth with disabilities. Her guest uh, on the program, author Alexan Jang and Dolly Medivac. Youth Engagement Lead at Holland Blue Review. That's The Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. It's available also on your favorite podcast platform. And, of course, nowadays on YouTube. So check them out uh, whenever you get a chance. Some great topics, great discussions on The Pulse from AMI-audio. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Speaking of great discussions, we started this bi-weekly contribution where we talk all things entrepreneurship. And, you know, it's it's so it's such a deep conversation. There's so many angles to cover. And who better to do it with than our friend Kevin Shaw? He's going to be talking about a lot of different things. Kev, welcome back. Again. Yes. Good to be with you guys. <laughs> nice to be with you, too. And see, listen, let's talk about entrepreneurship in this way um traditional employment is changing and we know it's changing in whatever ways that maybe we firsthand experience but how do you feel it's changing well i mean i remember the days when uh there were i mean i, I came from a media background right so when i got to school there were only a handful of of channels maybe a few more on cable and then within four years, like all of that exploded. And all of a sudden there were, there were so many more options for you to, to go and work at, but it was still, you know, very traditional employment, right? You, you hand out a resume, you go and do an interview, you put on a suit, you smile, you shake hands, you talk to folks. And um, I think a lot of that has changed quite a bit uh, in the last 10 years, maybe even 15 years. Um, you know, we have this thing called YouTube, uh, you alluded it to in your, in your break that, uh, you know, so much stuff is on YouTube now and, and, um, mm -hmm. everyone is now walking around with a television studio in their pocket. Yeah. Um, and so the barrier to entry is, is a lot lower. And I don't think that's just in, in media. I think it's in, in a whole bunch of different industries. It's interesting too, Kevin, because I always say to people when they talk about, submitting a resume in and being available for that initial first contact and years ago that contact usually came when somebody was at their either other job or out pounding pounding the bricks to find something so a message was left on their answering machine at two in the afternoon they find it at six o'clock at night when they got home were expected that the person would hear back from the next day now it can work against you taking longer than that message on your machine at two they're expecting you to get back to them before the end of their workday What's an answering machine? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We've a couple of these things there. out. Yeah, we'll recycle. <laughs> <laughs> Showing but, our age. I know, especially calling it that, right? Sorry, Kev. Voicemail. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> well, well, here's the thing. I, I you know, and, and I'll kind of tune this hit towards those folks who are, who are maybe in school or just out of school and then looking for work. Um, you've got to be prepared to go it on your own. And uh, that was one of the realities for me is living with living as somebody with sight loss. 
um, you know, that, that traditional nine to five job, if you're, especially if you're in a field like broadcasting or media, um, entertainment, certainly, you know, that nine to five job is not going to be there when you get out of school. And a lot of that is going to be just going out and doing things on your own. Um, you know, if you want to work in, in journalism, if you want to work as a writer, there's, there's a lot of freelance work out there for people who are, who are hungry enough and, and who have enough hustle to, to go and chase that. Um, and, and that's just the, that's just the reality of the, of the job market now. Um, right. I think Deloitte had said that, uh, you know, a, a, a really significant portion of the workforce is going to be in the gig economy by this right. year. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, we see things like, um, you know, Upwork and Fiverr and, you know, um, just traditional, traditional, um, uh, you know, traditional employment is kind of evaporating and these kind of gig sites are, have been taking over and people are just kind of doing these sort of, you know, piecemeal jobs. And, and that's, that's going to be a reality that, that folks need to navigate. And that's different, right, from- Kev? Different from you know, I'm putting my brand out there and I'm a content creator. Like that's different from gig economy to, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. Um, you, you know, there's, there are those people out there who are going to be the, uh, the influencers. They're certainly going to want to, um, you, you know, get their brand out there and get their name recognized. And, and there's a certain, there's a path kind of carved out for them. But if you're, if you're looking for that traditional employment, you're going to have to do some hustling. And, and I think it's more valuable to bring that to, you know, you'll, you'll get that opportunity with a traditional employer and say, Hey, look, here's, here's a whole bunch of independent work that I did beforehand. And, you know, I went out and I got some clients and I did some work and, and shared my expertise and now I'm willing to share that with your company. Mm. But I mean, in all fairness, a lot of media, regardless, you were off hours, it was off the clock doing different things to bring, especially develop what they may not have called it your own personal brand then, like mm-hmm. we do now and have access as we do to make up a page for people to go look. But yeah, you're still pushing in and investing in that. But we talk now today, go from answering machines to gig economy, new jobs out there. What, the, what does this mean, actually? Well, I think it means that that you know, in a way that, that we're all going to become entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we all have something to offer. Really? We all have something to add to the conversation. And sometimes, you know, John Rafferty, uh, president of CNIB, he said, he said it really well. And he said, sometimes entrepreneurship is really big and you're Mark Zuckerberg and you're making the next Facebook. Uh, and sometimes it's really small and you're, you know, setting up a stand at the side of the road and selling strawberries. Mm. Um, and so there's there's room for that in between uh big and small for everyone to participate right and um you know that that's certainly uh uh i i think that's certainly the reality that that we're in now and and again because we're in the sight loss community you know a lot of a lot of uh effort has been um has been placed on you know learn jaws go to an office get a job you know learn how to use a screen reader sometimes that's not the reality for everyone. So a lot of people still oh. want to work with their hands and do traditional things and, and um, uh, you know, not be in kind of that office environment. And, and that's where just kind of standing alone comes in as well. And, and uh, you know, I certainly think that there's room for that in, in sort of the gig economy. And we certainly have that, that kind of a space now with, with sites like Etsy and, and uh, you know, Amazon Marketplace oh, yeah. and Facebook Marketplace and so forth. Like, 
those are the channels that you've got to be thinking of when you're when you're going in on your own. I want to yeah. yeah. go back to the first part you said in this last little bit, which is, you know, we're traditionally lean towards office jobs and and the traditional resume of like I can type and I know Microsoft and that kind of thing, sure. right? Like so when you're a person with a disability and you start to take in everything that you've been saying, which is, uh, you know, we're all going to become entrepreneurs in some way or another, how do we start there? How do we go from I'm only built or conditioned or I only know the office job structure to I have something else to offer? How do you go there? Well, I always tell people that you know, the best way to be an entrepreneur is to find a problem that irritates you so much that you're the only person in the world who can come up with the solution for it. And sometimes those problems that irritate you are so small and so micro that coming up with a solution for that is really specific and really specialized, but, but you realize that everybody has this, everybody has this problem. And, and all of a sudden you're, your your micro solution now has a you know a, a macro market uh, right. associated with that, um, and and I think it comes from a place of going out finding those problems, offering the solution, testing it, finding out if other people are having the same same issue, and and you know doing that customer validation and and going out and saying hey here's something I thought of. Um, you know, maybe it's a problem with a piece of software or a process or something. Um, here, here's something that I found, and and now now you're arming yourself with that to to go and bring that to other people. And you know, if traditional employment is something that happens in the future, it's like, hey, here's a solution that I came up with. You know, when I was just out in the wilderness, kind of doing this stuff on my own, is that is that something that could be a value here? Mm. Yeah, it, it's. You know, Kevin, I still think back, as you said, we're taught so much. This is where you need what you need to know. This is the stuff that you need to have in tools in your your toolbox. And let's be fair, not everybody, every tool in that box, even if you've spent that time learning it in school, college, putting it to practical use, we're not always good at it. It's not where our talent lays. And we may say, I'm better as a listener, I'm better as a creator, I'm better as a thinker, I'm better with my hands or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And we've had that in the community where so many people in the disability community want to show that ability to work yeah. with their hands. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I went through that, that phase as well in, in my career where it was like, well, you know, I'm not working and, and I'm, I'm looking for work. And there are all of these other opportunities to, to, to try out. And, you know, volunteering is a great way to do that. If you're, if you're starting somewhere and you're like, hey, I've got a solution here that can help out this community organization or this church or this, uh, uh, you know, cultural organization or whatever. And I'm going to yes. use my skills to, to, to do that. Um, you know, and sometimes you find that you end up doing things that, that you just kind of hate and you're like, no, nah, nah, I don't know if this is me. Because you're brainwashed to think a different way, aren't exactly. you? Get, sure. To get to that point because of, well, we want to make it as, as fail safe as possible because you already have enough working against you as a disabled person. Well, you know, we'll, we'll do a segment just all on failure. Um, yeah. And, and yes. we can talk a lot about failure. But I think that's one of the things that that is... Um, you know, that, that, that's key to kind of making this work is getting comfortable yeah. with the idea you bet. of failure. You bet. And, and knowing the, yourself. To the opposite sense, though, I, I think that a lot of people are feeling now more than ever before that 
you know, you're you're one up if you can get a side gig. Like even if you are traditionally employed and you have the nine to five and the salary, mm -hmm. if you're doing things on the side, um, people admire that and people love that. And you could be doing it where, you know, you're putting yourself out there and people understand that you're freelancing, but you could also just have like this thing that you do on the side that not everybody knows about because you're selling on Etsy or, you know, whatever, like that kind of sure. concept. Um, so I think it's true. A lot of us are more open to talking about it as well. It's not this taboo, you know, like, oh, that sucks that you had to freelance. It's not like that anymore yeah. either. Mm. What a place to yeah, learn, absolutely. Hey, Kevin, on the side. I'm sorry? What a place to learn and develop your skills, that side gig. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, in our community, we, we understand that, that some folks are maybe employed part-time and, mm -hmm. and that this is, you know, three days a week and it's, it's four hours a day. And, you know, the rest of that time is, could be spent on, on, you know, learning those skills and growing those skills to, to build a side gig. And, you know, I think that's great because it can go either way, right? Either the side gig takes off and becomes something full-time and, congratulations, you're an entrepreneur and you've got a company or, mm -hmm. you know, the other way around and, and your, you know, your day job becomes your full-time thing. And, um, you know, now your side gig is your side gig. Right. Um, I'm curious about any other kind of advice or suggestions you would give to people who would rather be self-employed. Like if people are in the spot where they're like, yeah, I can get on board with this. I'm already kind of there anyway. What do you suggest? Uh, sorry, just uh, just repeat the first part of that. If you're feeling like you're ready for, if not entrepreneurship, to pick up a side gig, what kind of advice would you give to them? Um, you know, it, it's, again, I think it comes down to problem solving. Um, I think there's a lot of, I think there's just so much opportunity out there to be making money online and, and um, you know, have, getting to the point where you're, where you're doing things that are passive income. Um, and just working with their hands and, uh, you know, maybe you like to bake or you like to make jewelry or you like to craft or make baskets or whatever it is. And as long as you can find customers for that, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a, you're in a really solid place. And, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that's, that's where I would say to, to, to start. Isn't it fun when hobbies become a way to get paid as well i, I yeah. love that when uh, you know people around me who are like yeah i make soap it's cute and then around christmas time people are putting in orders or for cookies yeah. or for other things and even if it's just that seasonal thing it's a it, it kind of is a light bulb moment right yeah and and so many um you know so many companies started that way and it's just like you know the the stereotypical story of like Hey, we started this in our garage, or we started this yeah. in the basement, and <laughs> yeah. you know this yeah. is this is like the kitchen table, um, you know. And when I'm doing uh, uh, my drone business on on AMI this summer, um, you know, so many so many so many people who come through is just like, hey, I, I started this as a hobby, and um, you know, I somebody asked me where'd you get that, and I made it, and, um, and all of a sudden now it now it's turned into you know, two customers have become 10. Right? That's, that's yes, 20, right. Word of mouth. So. I saw your item. I would like to get it. How do I do that? And and yeah. it goes from there and it really blows up to where it yeah. becomes so much. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, I really wouldn't want my hobby to turn to a job because then I may dislike it. But when things, the demand, the flattery, mm -hmm. because you know you're doing so well and people are really appreciating it. And unfortunately, not enough people get 
made to feel appreciated in their job because people aren't telling them every day, hey, good job for doing your job. Thank you for doing your job. But when it comes totally. to those things that you like to do, those hobbies, those interests, your own creativity, man, and like you say, Kev, it can grow, can't it? It sure can. And and I think that's the great thing about, about entrepreneurship. I think that's the great thing about just going out mm -hmm. there and trying things. And, you know, you don't have to have your side gig forever. Mm -mm. Um, you don't oh, have to have your company no forever. Yeah. Right. And it's all on your own terms, which I love. I can't wait to get into some of these future conversations, Kev. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Kevin Shaw joining us every other week, kind of a, to wrap up our show on Wednesdays to talk entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's a tough one because, like Kevin said, you got to be okay. And as he said, we're going to get into the failure thing because there's so much trial and error. Even if you stick with it, a lot of things you, you go back to the drawing board for, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and the brand stuff as well, right? Like you put oh, yourself gosh, on yeah. LinkedIn or on Fiverr or any of these other things where you're just kind of getting paid to do a task and then other things that require a lot more putting yourself out there, creating a, an identity for yourself as an entrepreneur. Uh, and those can look very, very different from one another. Daunting and you're vulnerable because you also then have to take the feedback of what's wrong with what you've been doing. So mm. great segment, great segments ahead with Kevin. So uh, please join us for them as we speak to him every two weeks. And of course, check out Mind Your Own Business, right? Uh, folks, we are going to step aside and we'll see what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. And we'll tell you a little bit about our show that starts at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Thanks for being with us. It's Kelly and Ramya. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Real blustery out there today. Getting one of our traditional snowstorms. Nope, they didn't call it that for a long time until Christmas time. Snow squall? Nah, it's too long. So I guess right now they're calling it a system, and that's spreading its way uh, to the folks in uh, eastern Ontario, and I think it's supposed to go all the way out to the Maritimes after hitting Quebec. So a lot too of that, long? I'm sure you guys... What does that mean, oh, yes. too long? Too long what? You said snow squall too long. Yeah, they, it's not. It's too long for a snow squall. Oh, I mean, it's we gone do on get too snow long. Squalls that come it, off. Yeah. yeah, it's supposed to go on too long. But I should, and it's too wide. Snow squalls come off the lake and kind of oh, blast yeah. into Pinpoint. a certain area, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a finger pointing at you and blowing a bunch of snow in there and and taking care of you that way. But I want to think warm for a moment because Kevin mentioned something, and it's just so ironic as we talked off the top of the show about how it's like coming to class, learning so much, and makes you think back to because we can be a little forgetful things we talk about on the show, or at least when. Yesterday we had our lemonade talk, and when Kevin was talking about <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what Jr. said uh, about you know entrepreneurship could be that big thing like you know Facebook starting up to down to that little stand beside the road where you're selling. I thought I heard lemonade in my head. That's not what Kevin said, but it just shows you when we go back to these different topics on the show. Strawberries, he said, right? And we were talking uh, lemonade stands. And I just think, wow, so cool when you think about starting out. And I remember that as a kid. Oh, guys, you're going to be some little entrepreneurs, are you? 
Yeah, oh, that's okay. Fair. We just thought we were selling lemonade. We're going to be an entrepreneur, and what what is that? How do you do that? <laughs> you know, it's just so so cute and funny. And when you look at things that way, and as you were mentioning with Kevin, starting out messing around with a hobby, it's it's just so fun. Mm-hmm. Also, earlier in the show, we talked to Krista Couture about how to lose everything. And mm -hmm. this is going to start, it's a, a limited series, an animated series on CBC Gem that'll start streaming this Friday. You can start streaming. Available in English and uh, a couple indigenous languages as well. I really just loved not only the title of this, which grabs you immediately wondering what this could be about, but all the content that is so special to her that she's invited all of us into. Um, check it out. And check out the conversation with Krista, of course, because she's so eloquent and well-spoken. But also check out this starting this Friday on CBC Gem. Yeah, you can pull it up, stream it there. Also, I really enjoyed our talk with Bill Shackleton today on tipping. Not sure we came to any resolution. Um, I think we all had our, our thoughts, our opinions, and also confusion on what it is and uh, the complaints that are out there about it these days. Paul Daniel now joins us. He's one of the producers at Now with Dave Brown. Paul E.D., welcome back. Nice to have you on board. Hey, Kelly. Uh, on tomorrow's show, uh, as you know, Kelly, January is uh, Glaucoma Awareness Month, and glaucoma yes. is the leading cause of irreversible blindness worldwide, and that affects nearly 800,000 Canadians. Yet, according to a recent survey by the Canadian uh, Ophthalmological Society, I got to work on that, less than half of uh, Canadians uh, are familiar with the, uh, with the condition. We'll speak with That's uh, why Dr. It's Phil the silent Cooper, thief. That's right, mm -hmm. Silent Thief. Yeah, and we'll speak with right. Dr. Phil Hooper, president of the society, to find out what is being done to raise awareness among Canadians of to maintain healthy vision and healthy eyes. Blaine Deutscher, our community reporter in Saskatchewan, will tell us about the upcoming Frost Vagina Festival. Staying warm by, by getting out in the cold. I like it. And Stephen <laughs> yeah. Scott from Double Top will discuss... Stephen Scott will discuss the, the rush he feels in his technology. New technology has in replacing old technology like white canes and even the CI dog. When instead of replacing mm. it, why not just run it? Why not just try and set it, raise, it, raise a standard to, to the current technology that exists? Mm. Yeah, and it's Good so question. true, right? Some well, yeah, what true. do they say? What do they say? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. Thanks, Paul. True. Thank you. Paul Daniel joins us to preview what's coming up now with Dave Brown. Their program, 9 a.m. in the morning, available also via podcast. You can catch it right here, though, live at 9, as I mentioned, Eastern Time, right here on AMI-TV. We are back tomorrow on AMI-audio and AMI-TV, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We've got the roundtable tomorrow, and joining us, Corinne Van Dusen. Speaking of staffers over there working on great projects, uh, of course, the host of the Globe and Mail show on AMI-audio. Mary Mammoliti is also joining us for her new segments every Thursday. And we're talking about what's new in food and drink this week. Uh, she's highlighting a couple different things, including McDonald's and Doritos having new products on the shelves very soon. I'm excited about Doritos. Interesting combo there. Doritos, McDonald's. Separate. Separate. And I have to throw in the Royals. <laughs> There's your tip on the roundtable. Okay. Stop by her, folks. She didn't hear it. The Royals roundtable with Corinne. We're out of here. See you tomorrow, folks. I'm waving at you.
What's up, guys? It's Jeff here, and just wanted to fill you in on a little conversation that I had with my hockey team the other day. Kind of a random discussion, just putting that out there. Um, but it's the fact that cheese and crackers are an underrated food. And had you have asked me this five years ago, I would have said, no, absolutely not. Cheese and crackers, they're not filling. I need a whole box of crackers, a whole block of cheese to even make myself feel full. Now, fast forward a couple of years, I think it's a great snack, which could potentially turn into a meal. And where I'm going with this is that the possibilities are limitless. The amount of crackers that are on the shelves in grocery stores now, they're ridiculous. Same thing with the cheese. You can get a ton of different cheeses. You can also make this into an adult fun night where you add some wine, you have some cheese, you have some crackers, you get some good meats, olives, bread, whatever you want. I mean, honestly, it is the possibilities are endless. Um, so yes, this all stems back to the fact that cheese and crackers are indeed underrated. Again, I still need a good amount of cheese and crackers, and it gets even better if you add meat to it, just saying. But cheese and crackers, definitely underrated. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.